music only has one function. And I don't care what degree you have or what theological thought you have right now. It's wrong, and I'm right. Music only has one function, and that is worship. You can't use it for nothing else. Alrighty then. Fellow Earth babies, my oh my. That was Sam Phillips' World on Sticks bringing us into this episode, which is an episode about Sam Phillips. My new friend, Mark Feldbush, awesome guy, and I, Jimmy James S. Butler, decided we would talk about three albums from a very important time in Sam Phillips' life The Turning, The Indescribable Wow, and Cruel Inventions. And this episode, we are going to talk about The Turning, which was an album by Leslie Phillips before she took her childhood nickname Sam and said, see you later, suckers, to the fundamentalist Christian camp. I think Mark and I bit off a little more than we can chew on this one, but we had a very lengthy conversation on these three albums, and I wanted to make it into at least a two-part episode because we did a lot of talking and we covered a lot and we went through track by track. So I don't know whether that was the best decision or not, but that's the decision that ultimately I made, and that's what we got. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy the ride. Oh, forget it. Let's just take the rickshaw. Hey. Hello. How are you? Um, Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. I'm doing okay. Hey, thanks for your time. Man, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. I really appreciate your comments, your support. Have you done one, something like this before? This is my first go-around doing something like okay. this. So. First okay, time. I, yeah, well, that's that's cool. Yeah, I hope you got a bunch of notes. Actually, <laughs> or I, in your head notes. That's good I, enough. More stuff in my head. I thought cool. about writing stuff down, but I thought, you know... I've been listening to this music for a long time. I've been reading about all kinds of stuff. You had been making some notes. I thought I'm just going to show up for a conversation. Yeah, that's awesome because really that's what I prefer to do. 
So, yeah, so I did take a bunch of notes. You know, I've listened to this music for a long time, too, obviously. And I just kind of counted on you. <laughs> I figured you'd <laughs> I figured with what I've seen you post and stuff that you were a pretty big fan. Yeah. Of Sam Phillips. And I think we're probably round about the same age. So I thought it might be good to start off with a couple questions for you. When did you first get familiar with Sam Phillips? Let's say Leslie Phillips. Leslie, we're going to go chronological right. here. So let's start with <laughs> exactly. Leslie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's got to be in the mid 80s. Um, listening to Christian radio, I grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago. Uh, WCFL was the AM uh, Christian radio station, had been a rock station and got bought out and became Christian format. And then there was a WCRM uh, on the FM dial that played a lot of Christian music. So those were the, the kind of two go-to stations. And it was it was always one of those deals where they would do the, the, the teaching programs in the morning. And yeah. then like mm -hmm. after lunchtime, they would break <laughs> into the music. And that was the adult contemporary and pop stuff that, you know, your mom would listen to. And then right. after nine o'clock at nights when the rock shows would come on. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, They'd have so these little windows of music, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. Of course, windows Chicago are... probably had the cool stations, you know, I, I grew up in Kansas City and we, it was few and far between yeah. the stations we had like that, you know, but. Yeah. The, so the stations in Chicago, um. I mean, you had the square Christian music in the 80s. Yeah. And then you'd have yeah. this, the stations that would also throw in this really cool, unexpected stuff like uh, WCFL would. Um, that's where I first heard John Anderson's song, Oh, How It Hits You from the Three mm. Ships Christmas album. Uh, yeah. I think it was Oh, How It Hits You. That was the closing track on the album. So, you know, in, in amongst um, Harvest and DeGarmo and Key and whatever else, here's the John Anderson track. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then uh, WCRM um, was my introduction to Peter Case. Uh huh. Uh, they would Peter they Case. played uh, yeah. Echo Wars off um, the first Peter Case solo album, and they also played uh, Bruce Coburn's uh, "Waiting for a Miracle" from that uh, that double uh, best of album that came out in the in the late '80s. And so you know these stations would have that sort of mix of, of music, and of course Leslie Phillips is being played you know in that mix. Um, you know the pop stuff with not by might, um, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, yeah. that scripture song. I was that Matthew Ward, I think, from second chapter of Acts on that one. And Strength of My Life that had mm -hmm. Russ Taft duetting uh, from yeah. the Dancing with Danger album. And then, you know, the Black and White in a Gray World album come out after that. And, you know, so those albums and some of those songs uh, were my my introduction to Leslie's music. Yeah, that's about the same time that I had heard her music. I think I wasn't quite as drawn in at that point by her music. I mean, I liked it, but it was just a little bit more, I think, on the, you know, poppy bubblegum-ish end of yeah. things at that point. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. the girls I knew listened to it, and so that's, I kind of heard about it from that, and I liked it. Yeah, it was about the same time for me with those albums.
my follow-up is what made you choose when I said, okay, think about what you want to do. And you chose <laughs> these three albums. So like I said, I had a hard time figuring out where to go with this. I, I'm a huge music fan. I mean, I've probably got yeah. 2000 plus CDs in my collection, my you know, streaming collection is much bigger. So the field is wide open. And I started thinking about the kinds of musicians that you've had on and something that was kind of formative, that post-punk things are kind of swirling around. And then I'm thinking just about everybody, aside from your friend, and I'm sorry, I don't remember her name, but your friend that you've had on Jamie. as a co-host, Jamie, yeah, yeah, you've had her on, <laughs> but you hadn't featured any women artists uh, to this point. Uh, the episode that you just dropped with the um, oh, yeah. Oz Kluger and, and uh, Fears IRL and stuff, you know, we got a little bit of women yeah. in, in those bands, but we hadn't really talked about any women in music. I thought, well, you know, let's, let's bring some of that in. And what better artist than you know, Leslie slash Sam. And these three albums, I think, came out at the time, you know, my last couple of years in high school on into my first couple of years of college. I was born in 1970, um, graduated high school, 89, graduated college in 93. So these are the albums that are coming out right in that really formative time for me. Mm -hmm. and yeah. um, we're sort of a, an expanding of the musical horizons in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I could see the pick of those three. Sam Phillips' work is interesting. I could see the pick of those three sort of grouped together. Mm -hmm. I could also see if someone picked The Indescribable Wow and Cruel Inventions and um, Martinis and Bikinis as right. a three pick too. Is, you right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but but I definitely understood, um, you know, why you, I think, why you yeah. picked that, that well, group. And I didn't come to Martinis and Bikinis till a little bit later, right? So by the time that's coming out, um, I'm early in my career starting to go to seminary. So I'm, um, you know, went to seminary to become a pastor. I'm now working as a hospital chaplain and I train huh. student chaplains. And so, you know, newly married grad student budgets a little bit tight. Um, you know, how, where do you spend the dollars on the music that you buy? Some <laughs> yeah. martinis and bikinis came a little bit later. So I didn't know that one as well. And these three just really seem to be a, have a, a cohesive feel to them. Yeah, um, I agree. So do you want to say anything before we get started? Do you want to preface this with anything? Um, <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. So Yeah, we do. These albums were kind of important chronologically, I think, yes. for her career mm -hmm. and the transition in her career. You can jump ahead if you have a thought on something or whatever, because I found myself jumping around when I was forming my mental yeah. notes on different things, because a lot of the same messages, at least what I'm getting from the lyrics and stuff, are kind of from the same vein on right. a lot of these albums. Yeah. So chronologically makes the most sense to me. So I took some notes on like sort of before the turning, <laughs> you know, just kind of Sam's or Leslie's <laughs> beginning. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you, right. you know, read much about that. You probably, I'm sure you know if you've been reading or researching, yeah. but um, I, I, I did scanned, find some stuff I didn't know. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I kind of scanned through listening to those yeah. three albums to get a feel for them leading in. So yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, let's talk a little bit. What are some of those, those notes and things that you were coming across with? Uh... So, you know, she was touted by the Christian industry as the Christian Cindy Lauper. Right. I, I never really thought of her that way when I, I even in those I think, days, I guess I could see it. I think it's but... similarity in vocal approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Cindy was musically was a lot more kind of pop quirky pop kind of stuff and the first couple three albums of from leslie this is really kind of an, an eclectic mix even amongst those three albums each one sounds yeah. a little bit different but i think it was really more in the vocal approach um, yeah. to those albums than anything else i mean listening to um black and white in a gray world 
that's not that different from like what Pat Benatar is doing at the time, right? I think right. In, musically, Pat Benatar is probably a pretty solid comparison. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think they try to put artists into a secular comparison. And you remember the little yep. list you had the, when yep, you go to buy charts. music or whatever, they'd be like, oh, if you like this, you'll like Whiteheart. If you right. like, you know, if you and like they, they, Journey, they, you'll like Petra. If you, right. You know? <laughs> and sometimes they were kind of close, but sometimes they were like, okay, no, I don't, yeah. I can't even see that. But, you know, I don't know if part of the comparison to Sinful Opera came out of that or not, but. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of jumping fast forward with this kind of sure. comparison thing. So Leslie gets compared to Cindy Lauper. And then when Leslie slash Sam leaves Christian music, the artist that they bring in to replace her on mm. the Murr roster is Julie Miller. Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't, I didn't realize, I knew Julie Miller, but I didn't realize that they kind of made that move. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it's it's direct at one to one, but sonically, yeah. what Julie's first couple mm -hmm. of albums sound like, and Julie's voice again is kind of that that quirky, unique voice, and mm -hmm. so in a lot of ways, it felt like intentional or not, they were trying to replace. Yeah, I mean, now that you Julie. say that, I think about the timing of it, and I do remember when Julie Miller's first album came out, and yeah. it was the timing fits. Yeah. I think I saw, I saw Julie Miller. She opened up for the choir and Russ Taff okay. in, around about that year. Yeah. That was her yeah. first tour, first album. Yeah. So yeah. those first albums from Julie are really cool. We could probably go off on a tangent yeah. talking about her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think my point, you know, just kind of that comparison thing was we lost a quirky voice. Now we're going to bring in another quirky voice singer, uh, yeah. girl, girl singer to kind of fill this niche. Yeah, uh, it felt like a lot of times Christian labels were were kind of trying to do something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a note that at 14 years old, she began to study philosophy and fundamentalism. I saw that. Which was pretty impressive. <laughs> I think in some of my reading, it said that her father was an agnostic mm -hmm. and her mother was a Presbyterian, I think. Presbyterian, yeah. Yeah. And I just thought it was really interesting that at age 14, she was studying philosophy and fundamental religion. You know, it's kind of a shows her depth, you know, mm -hmm. even at that age. I was probably having a few deep thoughts at that age, but <laughs> I don't <laughs> I'm know. Probably not starting to read philosophy at 14. <laughs> I was not. No, I was not. So... And then at 18 is when she signed to the label Murr. And mm -hmm. um, I have a quote, but I'm not sure I should read it because it's it's sort of a look back from her. <laughs> Go ahead. It's, I'm curious. It says, I wanted to write about spirituality. I thought the church would be a good place to do that. I was very wrong. <laughs> a little harsh, well, but um, yeah, I understand why she said that. Yeah. Ideally, the church is the place where we can talk about spirituality as long as it conforms with what you know the people in the church are wanting to hear. I mean, we'll talk about the turning in the song expectations yep. in a little bit. Yeah. But that's you know, I think that song like that comes 
out of the frustration of not being able to, you know, authentically grow and, and to be able to ask and say the kinds of things. You know, as we get to the turning, there's a sense of lyrical growth that yeah. happens there that just is so different from the earlier albums. So I don't, I don't want to jump too far ahead with, with that. You know, with the early albums and her early recording, I think one of her first vocal performances that, that gets recorded is actually doing backing vocals for Mark Hurd. Yeah, she did backing vocals for Mark Hurd and a number of other people too. I forget yeah. the other ones, but I do remember. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And then on you know the uh, Beyond Saturday Night album, she's recording, covering Mark Heard with um, Heart of Hearts. Oh, that's right. So mm, I mean, so. pretty sophisticated you know choice of of song there, and and she's already starting to form some of those musical relationships that are going to bear fruit in in a lot of ways uh, on down the road. It says she began writing songs as a teenager to cope with her parents' divorce. And I had a note, began as a backup singer for Mark Hurd and okay. Randy Stonehill. Stonehill, yeah. <laughs> and I said at the end of my podcast, I just dropped with Paz Kluger and Fears. Mm -hmm. I said that there's probably a lot of people that don't think they've heard Sam Phillips, but they probably have. Yeah. Because she did the music for Gilmore Girls. Right. A show called Bunheads, which wasn't quite as known. Mm -hmm. But then The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, she did music yep. for that. Those were all created by Amy Sherman Palladino, who mm -hmm. obviously chose her. I think it said she chose Carol King first for the Gilmore Girls, and she didn't want to do it. Yeah. So then Sam Phillips, and she's become pretty well known for that. You can even go to YouTube. There's a bunch of, they call them La La songs, where <laughs> she's doing La La. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because she was kind of a master, even in her own songs, at doing like the backup vocals right. and stuff like that. So um, that's why I say that I think a lot of people have heard Sam Phillips that don't realize that they've heard Sam Phillips. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if I have any more pre the turning notes. <laughs> yeah. You know, from the listen, uh, the, the quick kind of scan I did of those first three albums, I was surprised at how much I liked some of the songs with Dancing with Danger and I think a lot of times my perception going back to Dancing with Danger was skewed by that song, Powder Room Politics, hmm. which, you know, is kind of a song of, you know, women in the bathroom putting on lipstick and comparing themselves. And it's a, you know, self-esteem and it's a good message, but it just compared to a lot of the other songs, it felt like it diminished the rest of the album. Um, probably not that different than like Randy Stonehill's Cosmetic Fixation that was on Equator or uh, Barbie Nation that's on Wonderama. You know, those songs all have a similar yeah. sort of theme. And it's an important topic. And yet it's kind of fraught. How do you address that in a way that doesn't sound cheap and diminishing? And I think the nature of that song just felt so bubblegum that it skewed yeah. my perception of some of the catchy 80s pop rock that was on some of the other songs on that album. When I went back and listened, I liked them more than I remembered liking them at the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they were yeah. definitely different <laughs> than yeah. The Turning, <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. We can jump into The Turning. And I had a thought that popped up that I didn't have in my notes. Because this is the first album produced by T-Bone Burnett. 
Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be easy to think that he's the reason why this is so much different and sort of elevated. But Mm -hmm. I think that wouldn't be accurate. I think a lot of it had to do with Leslie Phillips and her input into this. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, actually, I would say you're right on that. Somewhere along the way, I came across uh, a radio special from 87 when The Turning came out. Jerry Hauser oh, wow. um, talks with uh, Leslie and they play some of the songs. And towards the end of that interview, that was one of the things he's asking is about T-Bone's influence. And she said, you know, yeah, I went back and listened to those albums and, you know, liked the sound and the feel of what he was doing. But he was helping me to execute kind of the vision that she had for those songs um you know he ends up playing guitar all over the turning and she loves the sound and the feel of that but you know she's kind of given some of the direction to that so it's probably a both and but it's it's certainly not as much of t-bone putting his hand on the scale if you will and kind of i'm going to mold this this artist in my my own image yeah very good way to put it yeah yeah and I think that's probably the assumption a lot of people have that T-Bone came in and kind of reshaped her. Yeah. And at least by right, her own right. words, that wasn't the case. Yeah. I can see that in the music and stuff too. And I guess if you're really familiar with her work, you can hear her music post T-Bone Burnett where she's producing and everything. And mm-hmm. and I don't know, her music seems to get better and better. I, yeah. Well, better and better. That's maybe that's maybe better is not a good word. She's not know? stagnant as an artist. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, she continues to go and and grow and try new things. And sometimes it's far more complex and layered things. And sometimes it's, you know, the stripped down um, fan dance or boot in a shoe yeah. and, you know, where you get the real kind of funky art rock of um, which are amazing. Omnipop. Yeah. Yeah. Omnipop. That's you mentioned Omnipop. Surprising or maybe not surprising. I was thinking I was going to do on show and Sam Phillips before you mentioned Sam Mm -hmm. Phillips, you know, you had the idea. She was on my list and I thought, okay, I'm going to do Omnipop. (laughs) That'd be (laughs) an intriguing album to dig into. Because that's the one that a lot of people don't like or, or, you know, kind of panned. Yeah. But I don't know. I I really kind of dug it for some reason. And and maybe Mm -hmm. because it's a little more towards the post-punkish side of things, just because it's so dark and and kind of weirdly experimental in a lot of places. (laughs) Right. But I really like, I'll probably still do it. (laughs) But I was totally for these three as well. So how about if I just, for the listeners, people who don't know, I'll I'll just read when it came out and stuff like that. So The Turning, like we said, she signed a Murr slash Word Records, and The Turning came out in 1987. And I like to read the genres, what they what they have listed, like on Wikipedia <laughs> and stuff, because right. they're always they're always interesting. So the genre, CCM, right? <laughs> Christian rock, yeah, and alternative folk. Okay. Those are the three genres it it applied to this album. So it was recorded at Sunset Sound Factory in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Mama Joe's in Hollywood <laughs> and Capitol Studios yep. in Hollywood. Oh, wait, Eagle Audio in Fort Worth, Texas. Part of it was okay. done there, too. Yeah. So there's 10 tracks. I think there's 10 tracks on all of these three. I believe songs. so. Yeah. And for those who don't know, at least at this point in time, Leslie liked the 35 to 40 minute albums. Like they're all like really short, mm-hmm. <laughs> little short tracks. So this one's 3501. So, yeah. And as we said, first album produced by T-Bone Burnett. Mm-hmm. It has Leslie credited with vocals, harmony vocals, synthesizers, and drum programming. I have a list of some of the other notable people on the record. I don't know if you looked at that at all. 
I, I just took a few notes of people that uh, there's a big list of names. Yes. Um, but Peter Case mm-hmm. is on this record. I didn't realize that he was in a band called The Nerves. Yep. And Nerves. they recorded a song hanging on the telephone, which Blondie mm-hmm. later did. Right. Um, and then the Plimsolls. I knew his name yeah. and I knew the Plimsolls, but I didn't put the two together. Yeah. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. And then Tony O'Kay. Yep. Who I knew of. Did you have Tony O'Kay's music back in the day? Yep. The two that were on what records are yeah. really what I know the most. Um, Me too. Romeo Chained and Notes from the Lost Civilization. Yeah. Killer album. I don't know yeah. if you've heard the, the recent interview that John Thompson did with uh, Tony O on the True Tunes podcast, but that's gold. Two hours of conversation and music, and it's worth the two hours to listen. No, I was actually going to ask you if you if you listened to the True Tunes podcast and if you've heard it, because I think I got an email yesterday or maybe the day before that it dropped. So I was like, yeah. oh, good timing. It's Tony OK. Yeah. yeah, it's on my list to go listen to. Those who don't know who Tony OK is, he he was a, a solo artist, sort of on the Christian fringe, I guess, mid to late 80s. And... He came in in the mid 80s. He had a history before that in the general market with... Um... Right. Life in the Food Chain and America. And um, there was, oh, I think La Bamba might have been the third one. He was a member of um, the the Crickets, Buddy Holly's band, uh, towards oh, the end know. of the run I of didn't... their career. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Huh. Um, so he's got this, this history in general market music. And as Tom Willett was doing A&R for uh, Word Records, they had a bunch of these folks like Tonio and Mark Hurd, who does the Ideola Project and yeah. some of those others that they formed what records to be able to put out some of that music. So uh, Tonio kind of, I think, gets backed into uh, the Christian music rather than that being the, the place where he starts his career. Yeah, that sounds right. I had a couple notes. He was in a surf punk or surf, excuse me, let me get this right. Surf funk, psychedelic punk band mm-hmm. called the Rakes. You know who the Rakes are? Uh, Rakes, I think it was Rakes Progress. Rakes uh, Progress. That's right. Yeah, Rakes, sorry. Rakes Progress is the name yeah. of the band. I, the, other than hearing him talk about it in that podcast uh, with, with John Thompson, I was not really familiar with uh, Rakes Progress. Yeah, there's they have a song called Sewer Rat Love Chant. <laughs> 19, 1966. Yeah. So I that's as I was taking these notes. Okay, one more thing for me to go listen to. I got to go right. check it out at some point. But well, and for me, that's one of the ways I discover artists. You know, I was familiar with Leslie from hearing her on Christian radio. The turning comes out. I'm starting to read um, stuff in some of the Christian music publications produced by T Bone Burnett. Oh, mm-hmm, who's this? Oh, Tony O'Kay's on this. T Bone produced some Antonio stuff, and then you start seeing this this cross um pollination of these artists oh well gee let me check this out hmm this is interesting let me find out who's this oh peter case is in this mix and i've heard you know this other song from peter case let me check that out when i went to college my freshman year there's a record store a couple miles from campus and i would frequent their cutout bin and peter case's uh Mm. solo album um his first album was in that cutout bin and you know, then you start going down that rabbit trail of this artist plays here and they play on that album. Pretty soon the musical world just keeps expanding. Yeah, that was back in the good old days of, you know, scouring liner notes. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yes. I know that person that was in exactly. 
Yeah, I loved it. Yes. <laughs> I miss it. I miss it. <laughs> now it's Wikipedia rabbit holes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which are okay too, I guess. But it's okay, but not quite the same thing. Not quite as... the same as having that tangible thing and you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> waiting for waiting for it to come out, buying it, scouring mm -hmm. it, you know. And then of course on this album, uh, T Bone Burnett, real name Joseph Henry Burnett the mm -hmm. third. <laughs> who a lot of people probably don't realize they've heard a lot of t-bone burnett either right um so he's done a lot of uh movie stuff he's done mm -hmm. oh brother where art thou walk the line yeah um and he's helped start a number of careers counting crows los lobos sam phillips yeah so around about the same time 1987 he came out with the talking animals did you that's did you an amazing that? album i love it yeah yeah i got yeah. um i was aware of that album and then probably in early college years again finding that you know in the in the cutout bin it's the way a poor college student can add to their library yeah. instead of having yep. to pay full price that's what i did yeah, yeah um the talking animals is an amazing uh album i think i found that one because surprisingly the title track was on mtv okay around about that time and i was like it, it was kind of interesting that they had it on there but that's how i found it and became acquainted yeah. with it and i man, that album i think bono's on that album right mm -hmm. and so is michael bean yep my, i think michael bean i think robbie robertson um from the it's, band is on that and then tonio is also on that album yeah that's an amazing album so, yeah. i need to pull that back out <laughs> yeah <laughs> was this the first album you got in this trilogy was the turning probably so I was going to school at a denominational college in Maryland. And I remember going down to tower records, uh, downtown oh, DC wow. and finding the turning on vinyl. Probably so you were looking one. for it. It was scouring again, the cutout bins, right. And, gotcha. and whatever shows up. So that's how I acquired it for the first time. But man, what I heard or how I got stuff clearly hearing the songs, you know, played on Christian radio. I went to college and the guy, I worked at the campus radio station, which was a classical format, but the, the program director um, had an eclectic music taste. And so he introduces me to Alpha Band, which was T-Bone's band that came out of the Rolling Thunder Review. And so he gave me a cassette that had best of the Alpha Band and T, best of T-Bone Burnett, and then had the indescribable wow on that. So this was a dubbed tape mm -hmm. um, that had a bunch of that music. So these are all, you know... It, within a couple of years there's another guy that works at the radio station that had the CD of the turning that I had borrowed. Um, and I think he also had the CD copy of recollections, which was the best mm -hmm. of that came out after the turning that I think kind of filled out her record contract with murder. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm hearing all of those and um, that's kind of the way I was starting to acquire uh, some of those albums from my library. How about you? Well, those were the days when I went by the covers a lot like the album cover. <laughs> and sometimes that didn't turn out so well, <laughs> but you know, a lot of times you could, okay, that looks like it's yeah. pretty cool. I think I'm probably going to like that. And I've heard some of her other music and I think I might've even had a cassette of black and white world or one of her other ones, mm -hmm. but I was just kind of like, ah, it's, yeah, it's okay. But yeah, you know, I was listening to a lot of other stuff, but when I saw the cover and I probably read something about it in CCM or something and thought, okay, I'm probably going to be interested in that just from like an interview or something in CCM, because I was always 
very interested in Christian music that was sort of challenging something or, you know, not just like the trite, you know, mm-hmm. um, the lyrics and stuff like that. So whenever I would hear something that seemed like it was confronting maybe some things that people didn't like to talk about, stuff like that, yeah. or addressed, then I was interested. So I thought, okay, that cover looks interesting and in mm-hmm. what I'd read. So it's actually the first one that I actually went out and bought myself. So it's an amazing cover and I'm looking at a thumbnail of it right now. And I think the cover really captures sonically what's going on in the album. Uh, Dancing with Danger and Black and White in a Gray World are both color photos. You see her full on kind of brighter pictures and sonically those two albums are really kind of bright and catchy. And this, you know, the, the turning is sort of a blurry gray and black uh black and white silhouette uh, looks like down on an ocean somewhere maybe she's dancing and her head's kind of mm-hmm. turned and it, it has that sense of motion that goes with the turning and the darker tones of the cover i think really kind of capture the darker tones in the music so even i think you're right visually it's telling us there's something different coming with this album than anything we've heard from um leslie previously yeah, it kind of reminds me of, uh, remember Rust Tap Metals? Yes. And then you had the next album, the, I think it was self-titled Rust Tap. Self-titled. And, you, uh-huh. and the cover of that, you could tell yep. there, was a di- there was a difference there. Like there was something yep. deep or whatever mm-hmm. happening there. Yeah, I think the cover of The Turning, I, I was you know studying it a little bit. I don't know, is, is the one you're looking at, the little thumbnail, does it have like the little extra picture up in the left hand above the title? Yes. So yeah, so it's kind of like she's, standing with her arms together kind of facing away from the mm-hmm. ocean i think and yeah. it's hard to tell but um the actual main part of the cover where she's got her arms out you know mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me of um you know like little kids or something when they're like twisting their arms around like you know kind of yeah play, you know wistfully like and so just because i've read a lot and kind of known her her progression and stuff like that I, I was always thinking oh the turning okay so it's like okay I'm turning away from this stuff and you know moving toward this stuff and there's probably something to that but this gives me more the feeling of it's kind of like this sort of I'm not sure where I'm at but I'm mm-hmm. I'm just kind of I'm kind of reveling in the fact that I'm free and you know um reveling in all of it like right like you know, the the uncertainty and the things I know and mm-hmm. sort of the freedom of kind of breaking loose from things and what's been holding me down or trapping me. So right. I don't know, those are just some of the feelings I got from it. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I made a little note that said change from pop rock to darker, more poetic 60s influenced music. <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly right. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. What are your thoughts? You kind of gave some on that, I know. But yeah. Sonically, there was a time where I thought there was a lot more 60s influence um, on that album. And I going back and listening to it now, to me, it doesn't feel as quite as obvious an, an influence. I think there are places where we've got some of the, the um, stacked harmonies that evoke some of the girl group harmonies of the 60s. And yeah. there's a lot of places where you've got the hand claps and the rhythms that feels like 60s music. A few places, some of the guitar tones sound like it, but um, I, th- I think like Martinis and Bikinis sounds a lot more '60s influenced yeah. to me than than this album does. Yeah, there's something with 
these three albums that while they there are nods to 60s influences don't sound dated yeah i agree my ears i think all three still feel really fresh and vital you know i think they have both the backward look to some of those influences as well as we're taking this somewhere new and 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 different definitely got a forward feel to them yeah i had the same thought i uh, as regarding the timelessness of them, I, I think I made a note later on, but kind of along the same lines, like I was listening back to these and I was like, these would fit in today. I mean, they're like yeah. musically, they're not really dated. I mean, there's a, you could probably pick a song here and there. It's like, okay, that sounds kind of like a, you know, it belongs in the late eighties, early nineties mm-hmm. or whatever. But overall, I think they aren't trapped in that time. This one starts off with the T-Bone Burnett song, mm-hmm. River of Love. And I actually had the cassette. I don't remember the name of it. It's simply titled, I think, T-Bone Burnett. It's it's a self-titled oh, album. Right. may have come out either just before or just after. I picked up that album again from the cutout bin when I was in college. I don't think I knew that T-Bone had recorded. I, reading the liner notes, I probably knew that he had written River of Love. And I was really surprised to put that solo album of T-Bone's on. And to hear his version of River of Love in contrast with Leslie's version. Yeah, same for me. I heard this version first, Leslie's version. Mm-hmm. And then I found that cassette at like a dollar bin at yeah. this weird Christian bookstore in Kansas City. <laughs> it was, <laughs> oh. when I say weird, it was this guy, like he would collect really mm-hmm. old Christian books, like in for a lot of, sell them for a lot of money. But he was in a house. It was just like in a house. In here in Kansas yeah. City, like a really in a really old neighborhood. And he had like a music section and he had all these cassettes, you know, for like 50 cents or a dollar. And so, you know, he had the 77s and ping pong over the bis. That's where I got mm-hmm. that. First heard of that. And that's where I found this this T-Bone Burnett and put it on. I was like, oh, that's I know that song. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's Very a different album on his, yeah. on his album. <laughs> There's a river of love that runs through all times There's a river of grief that floods through our lives It starts when a heart is broken The uh, story about that T-Bone album, when I was in college, I came home from that radio station where I was working uh, from a Sunday night shift probably 10 o'clock at night, maybe it's 11 o'clock after my shift's over, come back into my dorm room and my roommate's already gone to bed. And so I wanted something to listen to to kind of wind down. And uh, as I'm going to sleep, so I pop in this T-Bone Burnett, acoustic, kind of country-ish, laid back. And of course, T-Bone's got this really kind of nasal voice. Mm -hmm. And my roommate um had sung in kind of some you know classically oriented choirs was kind of trained more as a vocalist so i put on this tape and my roommate wakes up out of his sleep pauses for a moment listens to t-bone singing and goes what in the world is he doing to his voice (laughs) (laughs) that's great you know i've heard a lot of time like the music i listen to i've heard a lot of criticisms of vocalists (laughs) Yeah, I remember somebody jumping all over Michael Bean when I was when I I think when I first started my job, I was playing a, uh, a cassette of the call and they were like, I, well, his voice is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yet for that T-Bone album, that voice is perfect for the, yeah. the plaintive wailing 
country ish, yeah. Appalachian, Southern, you know, country that, that T Bone's playing on that. Yeah, it's part of the whole. It's like another yeah. instrument, you know, and yeah. it's same for Michael Bean, right? And really, right. really same for Leslie Phillips. Mm-hmm. You know, her voice is like another, another, another part instrument of in the that mix. ensemble. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. you take away all T-Bone's input in these albums, you lose something. You take away her voice and her input, like you lose just something just as big. Right. I think. You know, you can't just throw any singer into this and and it's you, it's going to be as good as it is. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. So we have that one. I don't know. I, I don't really don't have any other thoughts on that one. Um I, I, I've always but... appreciated the lyric, particularly the, you know, like the opening verse. There's a river of love that runs through all time. There's a river of grief that floods through our lives. Starts when a heart is broken into by the thief of belief in anything that's true. But there's a river of love that runs through all time. Now, the opening track of her previous album, I think, was the title track, Black and White in a Gray World which is I'm black and white in a gray world. And now we're talking yeah. about this grief that runs yeah. through our lives. Holy cow. Not only is the cover saying there's something different, lyrically, the choice of this song is setting a tone. Yeah. And then you get to the chorus and it says, I had to run before I knew how to crawl. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't talk about, I think, connecting with um, like a song like Expectations that comes a little bit later that there is this sense of a lot of times in church culture, we've got the answers all figured out. And there's this sort of, we got to go back to square one. I was running. Now I got to go back and start all over and figure out how to crawl as I'm dealing with these experiences of grief and turning and transition. This album is really, I think a, an album of transition. And I think the turning gets us at that sense sonically lyrically um clearly for her career um you know in a, in a little while but those were some of the lines in this song that i think really set the album up in in an amazing way i had to run before i knew how to crawl the step was hard but i've had trouble with them all Darker and the day grows dim Cause I know I never will see you again And I almost made you happy There's a river of love that runs through all times But there's a river of fire that burns with no yeah, I agree. That's I think you're absolutely right. And I think it was really interesting. I remember going back and listening and okay, that song Black and White in a Gray World. I was like, wait a minute, like <laughs> moving from the turning on, like you're pretty much singing completely about the opposite of that. <laughs> right. When answers don't come I mean, easy, I can wait. Yeah. I mean, you wonder how much of it was her and how much of it was where she was at and how much of it was sort of just the culture. You know, yeah. because I think it, it's easy to think, and I think a lot of Christians do think this, that she like turned her back right. on Christianity. And it wasn't that. It was turning away from the fundamental part or the parts that says there's easy answers for everything. Mm-hmm. You can't really talk about all those things you're unsure about or all those problems you face. You yeah. can't really talk about that stuff. Because if you are right with God, everything's fine. You know, it's very simple, right? right. 
Yeah, though there's a lot of of church culture that is that black and white. There's no room for ambiguity. Um, we've got the answers all figured out, you know. And I think that quote that you shared earlier of I wanted to write about spirituality and I thought I could do that in the church, but I couldn't is indicative of, you know, the sense of spirituality that she's singing about, whether it's through this choice of river of love and the grief that, you know, T-Bone pens here, or some of the other songs that come through this album. It's a profoundly spiritual album. If, even if it doesn't fit the norms of the altar call kinds of songs that probably a lot of people were accustomed to Christian artists at that time uh, doing in their songs and in their concerts. Right. You've heard it said, probably a few times on this podcast, but certainly Steve Hinlong said it, like if you're doing Christian music, it has to fit into certain categories. Right. It has to be for edification or, you know, or it Mm -hmm. has to be, you know, reaching out to, you know, to save people and stuff like that. And that's, it's a tool. Right. You know, Chris Taylor said the same thing. They wanted to use me as a tool. Right. (laughs) You know, and you're kind of limited on, you know, what you're allowed to do to achieve that in your music. And so I think this is actually a great way to open this album. Yeah, I agree. And using art as a tool, and in this case, a lot of times evangelization, get my my tongue wrapped around that word, you know, converting people, winning souls, whatever, I think comes from a particular theological perspective. There's a lot of American church culture that is very transactional in their understanding of who God is, you know, and, and as I've worked in the hospital and, and hear families struggling with things, you know, well, what did I do that God is punishing me? Right. Yeah. And evangelism is really not art. Music is not a tool of evangelism as much as it is an expression of one person's experience or encounter with the sacred. And it is much more, I think about looking rather than a theology of transaction, I think a lot of artists are coming from a place of a theology of relationship and encounter. Right. And the expectation of the church is if you don't have the right JPMs in a song, uh, <laughs> Jesus per minute, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, then, you know, you somehow lost your way. It sort of pushes a lot of people out of the Christian music scene, as we've seen time and time again. All right. So love is not lost. Yeah. <laughs> This was a song that um, I remember hearing um, on the radio. This was one of the early singles for the album. It has that sort of, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl and in their love's first test. And yeah, um, has that sort of romantic longing, you know, as a 17, 16, 17 year old kid, I could really identify with uh, some of that relational and that desire for that, that sort of romantic connection. And then kind of looking for the, overt religious metaphor you know that this has somehow got to be um allegorical right Mm -hmm. and i remember hearing uh somewhere around this time on christian radios when they were announcing that she was going to be leaving christian music and going after secular you know quote-unquote secular career right right and just sort of feeling this this sense of loss and heartbreak that this artist that i've really appreciated who's just put out this amazing album is is now leaving the fold and um, i remember having this imagined conversation with her using the lyrics of this song but love is not lost stay don't turn your back don't go (laughs) right it's not lost (laughs) yeah right yeah kind of embarrassed to say that but that's the 16 17 year old kid that's some of the thoughts that were going through my head hearing this song yeah this is one of those songs that really has that 60s pop vibe to it 
Yeah, this definitely sounds, and I remember hearing it on the radio too at the time. It definitely has a you know radio single sound to it. Yeah, it's one of those songs that still puts a you know has a warm spot in my heart when I hear it. It just I thought really there was some really great little guitar sounds and things in this mm-hmm. song that T Bone added that really turned the song into something that I think it wouldn't have been without those like the little interludes between the lyrics. You know, he has that little guitar mm-hmm. <laughs> thing. So I thought that was pretty cool. I feel like this is maybe the one song on here that could have fit in on her previous albums too. It's a little bit different, but I think it maybe it could have fit in. It sounds a little more poppy to me. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the turning. I was trying to choose a favorite on here, and this was one of my picks. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my first reactionary pick, but as I went back and was listening to the, all the albums, I picked two that I thought could be my favorites from this album. I was just going to ask, you know, what about this song was, was standing out to you? you know, why, why was it one of, your, one of your favorites? Well, it's kind of got a different sound to it, and it's got a bunch it of does. little... Ding, 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 ding. It's got the, those little sounds that, mm-hmm. that are put into the background. And I, I thought that was really creative. And the tone of the song, you know, just kind of resonated with me. Part of it is the lyrics, I think. I know about her story, uh, progression in this right. um, career-wise. And so, you know, I'll read some of the lyrics and then I'll kind of comment. The turning from the light to shadows, from burning to indifference, mm. the turning of heart to granite, of still hopes to molten fear. And when it turns on me, don't let it turn me. Now, all the lyrics online say, don't let it turn on me. But I've listened to this song many, 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 many times. And I'm pretty sure I'm right that it says, and when it turns on me, don't let it turn me. Um, You're right. Not turn on me. And yeah, I don't know. I, as I've talked about before with the different people I've interviewed and stuff like you can get something completely different than what somebody meant in the song, right? It's, you know, the listener mm-hmm. gets their own thing and that's part of the beauty and magic of music. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I really like this. I felt like she was talking about some of the things she'd been mired in religious wise and stuff like that. And she's kind of turning from those things, but she realizes that like, she doesn't want to become like bitter or jaded in that. So right. it's like when this stuff turns on me and when I start confronting these things from burning to indifference from light to shadows, mm-hmm. like, don't let it turn me. So I kind of feel like it's directed to God or you know, it could be directed to, you know, just generally out there. But um, mm-hmm. like, I feel like, like it's, for me, what I got from it was like, it's like a plea to like, you know, when I hit these hard things or whatever, or I have these things I'm not sure about, like, don't let that turn me because it can turn people. It can make them bitter. Mm-hmm. You know, it could turn hearts to granite. Right. Right. And I really identify with that because I that's something I tell myself, you know, sometimes when there's, hard things going on like you know be careful don't let yourself like 
you get to where you're right. like, you know, in this negative place about everything or, you know, about God. So mm-hmm. I don't know some of my thoughts on it. Coming out of love is not lost, which is a brighter, peppier, poppier song. This is such a dark turn. Yeah, um, really sonically, is. the guitars, kind of some of the scratching on the strings of the guitar and the tone just feels so different. And as I've looked at some of these lyrics, in some ways, it feels like a rebuttal and maybe a ma- more mature version of black and white in a gray world. Mm, where yeah. where that where that, that song is, you know, I'm black and white in a gray world. I'm not going to let their um, flexible morality bend me. Mm-hmm. This, you know, starts as you quoted the turning from um, light to shadow. We're not black and white in a gray world. We're going into the shadows, away from the light. And in that push and pull and that struggle and and the hard times that you know might make us jaded, it sounds like a plea to be true to one's core identity, who one really is and not be turned into an uncaring, unfeeling, bitter sort of person. I think in that sense, there's, I think a, a commonality. Don't let it turn me, but it's a different sort of, it's a similar, but different sort of feel from black and white in a gray world. There yeah. was certainty in that one. And this one is rife with the questions. It's- it's pretty awesome because it's hard to acknowledge those types of things when you're the one going through that transition Mm -hmm. it's easy to not see that yeah you know about yourself or not see you know until later yeah so i think it's pretty cool that she was able to be reflective enough to see all those things as a possibility you know like Mm -hmm. here's some dangers and sort of address them and put them out to maybe other people who might be also like struggling with the same things right but, and then we jump into a hand clapper <laughs> <laughs> you talked about clapping hands right um libera me yeah so this was written by both t-bone burnett and sam phillips there were some really good lyrics in this one too there are i don't remember where i heard or read this but the libera me uh is latin for liberate me and it shows up in a lot of like choral music like requiems mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i had read somewhere that she heard this in andrew lloyd weber's requiem 
that Sarah Brightman sings on uh, that album. And cool. so she took that lyric uh, and wrote this. And so as I have done Google search for Liberami, that shows up in a lot of different requiems. So apparently that's a standard mm. part of that requiem mass. And it's this sense of, of longing and, and liberation. The second verse, I'm so afraid if I keep hoping that there will come a day when my heart is open, that you will walk away like you were never there. I don't know all the truth from the lying. This is the chorus. I don't know all the truth from the lying, but I know that I need you because I'm dying from being held by hell in a cell of blinding fear. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Liberate me from this cell yeah. of blinding fear, right? Yeah. Libera me, libera me. And you're right. It's got this very jaunty hand clap, yeah, the... <laughs> 60s yeah. pop vibe to it. Yeah. The sonics of the song belie the intensity of the lyric of the song. Rains that I can't trace Pull my heart away from love I long to taste Why do I run away when I can face to face Anything I need But I am so afraid If I keep hoping that there will come a day When my heart is open that you will walk away Like you never And I don't know And as we're going to see with the next song, it's kind of bouncing back and forth between upbeat <laughs> and mm -hmm. like a little more somber, like dark. Yeah. <laughs> because the next yeah. one is yeah. Carry You. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with a um, folk singer named Brooks Williams. No. Mm -mm. He's had a bunch of albums, but somewhere around 2000, he had an album called Skiffle Bop. And it's not available online anywhere. I looked for it last night. And I cannot find it. But he did a cover of Libera Me, uh, this, this oh, uh, really? Sam Phillips of song. This, uh, that song? Yeah, of okay. this song. Huh. And as I recall, I've only heard it once, but it was a jaunty kind of swinging folk jazz arrangement, which huh. was just so trippy hearing that after hearing, yeah. you know, Leslie's version and then the intensity of the lyrics. And just kind of um, had me curious what his choice was in covering it with that sort of jaunty uh, arrangement to the to the lyric. I have searched six ways from Sunday. It will say, you know, hear it on Spotify, hear it on Apple Music. And every time I click that link, it says not available in your country. Uh, it's a search and you're clicking on a link to Spotify, but it doesn't, you can't hear it in your country, huh? Right, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so I don't know if it has something to do with the, whoever owns the rights to that album or digital rights or something. You said um, the name of it was Skifflebop, the album? Skifflebop, B-O-P. Bop. Gotcha. Yeah, S-K-I-F-F-L-E, <laughs> Skifflebop. Uh, there, there's versions I, I could find. You know, you could buy a CD through eBay or Amazon or something like that. But it, it's an interesting arrangement to hear mm -hmm. that kind of folk jazz uh, take yeah. on that song. Interesting. It'd be interesting to know how he became familiar with it and pulled it and said, oh, I'm going to do a cover of this. Yeah. Yeah. We'll probably never know. <laughs>
<laughs> unless one of us buys a CD, it looks at the liner notes and it's something in there. <laughs> right. Which and there probably may... aren't. Yeah. <laughs> probably nothing in there. So then we come back down to carry you. <laughs> yeah. So this is my other pick for my favorite on this mm -hmm. album. I guess I just like the somber, <laughs> deep lyrics <laughs> when the water's too high. I mean, the, the lyrics are pretty simple on this song, really. They really are. <laughs> they have I mean, a few simple lyrics and, they, and then it just repeats, I will carry mm -hmm. you. But along with the music, I don't know, it, it, the song feels so full and melancholy. When yeah. the water's too high, when the streets are too high, when the night is too black. I'm just saying the different, you know, one-liners it throws out in between, you know, singing, I will carry you. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I really like this one. I, I remember really liking this one when I first got the album, too. Yeah sonically it's a, a again as you say a song that's very dark in its tones the guitar is kind of playing more on the bass end mm -hmm. of, of the register and it feels the, the guitar really adds to that darkness and i think there's something particularly in these these darker songs the turning and this one and whatnot that for me brings it into the realm of the post-punk feel for me a lot of the yeah. Post-punk music really lives in those darker sonic tones. I agree. Yeah. And I think Absolutely. some of these songs definitely are places where those post-punk feelings come into the music, even on something that's got a lot of these 60s pop influences sprinkled throughout, liberally throughout the album. Yeah. Like you said, even the like little guitar solo in this is like on the bass end. Mm -hmm. It's like this really deep kind of bass sound to it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you're right. That's probably why I like it, why they're my favorites. When the streets are too hot When the streets are too hot I will carry you I will carry you I will carry Throughout all these songs, like those little sounds and stuff that T-Bone is adding, whether it's through Leslie Phillips directing him or whatever, or saying, here's what I want to hear or him. It's probably a combination of the two, right? They just take this, right. every song to a whole different level. So beating hearts. I <clears throat> dig this song. There's an energy. There's an urgency to this song. How long have I got before days become legend? How long have I got till this dream of life becomes heaven, of life passed too fast? It's hard to know. Uh, it won't last forever. How long have I got before passion gives up its fire? And I think sonically, the music is got very much a driving feel to it. It does. Yeah. 
and then you know the the chorus who can hear my beating heart pounding so wanting more who can hear my beating heart pounding on the door yeah i love it i love that part where she sings pounding on the door what do you think this song means i really think it is that sense of of the fleetingness of life you know a person wrestling with their mortality and that we're not going to be here forever we've got a limited time given to us and that that question comes up over and over how long have i got until how long have i got until you know that that's and and that's i think a lot of that urgency i don't know is that it's necessarily someone who's trying to it's one of those you know i got to do everything i got to I've got to achieve, I've got to achieve, but it's someone who's really kind of coming to grips with, with their own mortality. So you ready for expectations? Yeah. <laughs> I know you got something to say about <laughs> expectations. <laughs> Is this the most blatant lyrically referring back to the religious aspect or the fundamental aspect? What do you think? This is at least reading these lyrics with 2020 hindsight. It really feels like a very angst expression of her frustrations with the confines of the American Christian subculture and what was expected of her within that culture. I mean, the opening lyric that gets repeated twice, you lock me up with your expectations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and It's pretty clear. Yeah. <laughs> There's an aggression to the way she sings. It's almost as if she's having an argument with the antagonist, whoever or whatever it may be, whether it's an individual or an institution or whatever. Loosen the pressure you choked me with. I can't breathe. Yeah. I can't breathe. <laughs> right. Right. She right. said it twice. <laughs> yes. Drip my heart with your accusations. You shut me into affectation. Hmm. You shut me into affectation. I'm having to take on an affect that's not true to who I am. Yeah. You're locking me up. You're confining me. And there's I a line. Let out. me pull. Let me pull down on your high ideals. I yes. like that one. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And that's the bridge, right? Yeah. Let me pull down on your high ideals to sweet earth, honest and wide. Tumble with me in an undoubted craze. Don't hold back the tide. And that, I think, in a lot of ways, comes back to the cover image on the album where she's standing on the shore where mm. it looks like the tide is rolling in. Don't hold back the tide. Let it come and let the wild waters flow. I think there's power in this spirituality that she's writing about. She, she wants to feel that wild abandon instead of being locked up yeah. into these expectations. Yeah, and that's consistent with, yeah, like you said, the album cover, like just kind of with abandon, right? <laughs> with just mm -hmm. like turning around, like, you know, and just letting it all happen, letting the tide come in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's almost an anger in the way she spits out the lyrics of the song. Yeah, there is, <laughs> for sure. Like I said, I think <laughs> this is the track that's the most in-your-face mm -hmm. objection <laughs> to what she's been confined right. to. 
some ways and again this is probably the 2020 hindsight it feels like a righteous middle finger <laughs> it really does <laughs> being raised to the subculture that has nurtured it's not, her yeah. and, and given her a grammy nomination right right that's the <laughs> crazy thing this was like widely acclaimed you know by ccm and all that it's like mm-hmm. it's like did you listen are you listening to this album <laughs> that, that you're yeah you know my, my guess is that whoever was writing the review probably was somebody that had. Yeah. And there were a lot of people writing in CCM at the time, you know, like Brian Quincy Newcomb and different people like that, that were not really of the same mindset, you know, as, as a lot of the, that subculture you're talking about, but. My guess is those are the kinds of people that probably would have written a review for this album and would have gotten it, would have appreciated but you're right, your average CCM reader. And back in the day, right, John still was the editor of CCM Magazine. I think oh, John right. would have been somebody that would have appreciated the spirit of something like that, yeah, what this album was pushing and challenging for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so down. Down. Not to be confused with go down. <laughs> right. Which comes Which is later. Cool inventions. This one's pretty good, too. I wrote down some lyrics. Down comes my religion like leaves on winter trees. Mm-hmm. Down, you come to me with your love on hands and knees. Yeah. This lyric for me, as I'm reading it and, and remembering the music, really is a confessional. Mm. It opens up, down, I hit the dirt when I see who you really are. Down, all my strength leaves me like a falling star. Cut to the heart, I am opened up like a wound. Shattered convictions I thought were reflecting you. Cut to the heart, I am opened up like a wound. Shattered convictions I thought were reflecting you. All of these convictions that I've had and and were Mm -hmm. probably writing about in previous albums, again, kind of using that lens that she leaves this subculture down the road. This really feels like a conviction that whatever her sense of God or the divine is, that these past um, things that she was locked into those expectations mm-hmm. right it's all been a, a sham and, and i think she's really trying to get a sense of a deeper more authentic sort of connection with god as she understands god
And I really like this down comes my religion like leaves on winter trees because yeah. the leaves come back, right? right? So it's like, it's not a death, right? It's just sort of what happens and then hmm. it makes room for new growth. You know, I mean, that's part of the life cycle of trees, right? Mm-hmm. And, it's part of the life this... cycle. It's not death at all. Right. And you if know, this it's... is a reflection of a spiritual life, maybe this is even suggesting that in a spiritual life, there are these cycles mm-hmm. of strength and renewal and then times of doubts and questioning and, and, and times that it feels barren. And then there's the spring is going to come again when the leaves will bud and, yeah. you know, that new life comes back. Yeah. And there's growth. And know, there's growth. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This again wow. is another one of those great. dark sonic tones yeah. in this song that really matches uh, the feel of the lyric. Yeah, I like this one a lot. Mm-hmm. So the album closes out with God is Watching You. Actually, you're skipping over one. Um, oh, am I? Oh, answers come don't come easy. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I did. One of the things I've really appreciated in this song at a lot of different points in my life was that I don't have to know the answers. When answers don't come easy, I can wait. You know, that's the chorus. Uh, Tell me what to do with this beating heart while I bleed alone tonight. You know, there's this sense of whatever is going on for the protagonist in this song. There's a sense of loss and brokenness and unknowing. And when those answers don't come easy, I don't have to know right now. I'll wait. And and maybe this ties in with what we were just talking about, those those leaves um, that mm-hmm. have fallen off the tree. And, and I can wait until something new comes i don't know if it's as overt as that but it certainly feels like there's a lyrical tie-in between the two songs through that regard I really like this song. I feel like it could have fit into one of the previous albums too, a little bit because of the sound of it sonically and stuff. But yeah, um, it also fits in on this album well too. So there's a gentleness in the arrangement Mm -hmm. um, that really feels warm and compassionate. It feels like someone creating a safe space for these questions and these doubts. I mean, the whole album, I think, is really full of the struggle. You know, the language folks use anymore is deconstruction, right? This is an album, I think, of deconstruction in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of that, in the midst of a spirituality that's growing and changing and not stagnant, Mm -hmm. when answers don't come easy Yeah, I think it fits very well in the deconstruction camp. And especially, like, I really like, I'm going to, this is off the top of my head. I'm not looking at the lyrics. Yeah. But she says, it's enough to know you're you're near me now. Yes. That's the lyric, right? So there's this uncertainty, like, I don't have the answers, but there's also an affirmation. 
right. like that I'm going right. to go ahead and say it's God, you know, you're near yeah. me now. And so I'm sure the deconstruction for people looks different for each person, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of deconstruction too. Right. Like a lot of people automatically see it. Oh, you're just totally turning your back on God and everything else. And I think there's a lot of it that's like a, I'm just questioning a lot of these things that were maybe religion based and things like that, but I still feel close to God and maybe I feel closer because mm-hmm. I don't have all those answers and that right. makes God like a lot bigger, a right. lot higher Yeah. when you believe in God, but you're like, I don't have all the answers. If you have all the answers, you're a little bit closer to God in your own mind, you know, right. but I'm black and white in a gray world. Yeah. Right. That's the attitude of the, of that lyric in the previous album. Yeah. And this is a person whose certainty in that black and white worldview is now shattered. Yeah. And I don't know what's next, but when answers don't come easy, it's enough to know that you are near me, you can hear me. And I think that's that sort of relational theology I was talking about as opposed to someone transactional, yeah, dependent on a transactional theology. She really, mm-hmm. I think, yearning for that relational connection with God. Yeah. I mean, that's where it's really at, because, I mean, if it's transactional, we're all screwed. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, if you're going to be honest about it, right? So, right. okay. Now, God is watching you. <laughs> God is watching you, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> what's your thought or what's your feeling on this song, Jimmy James? Um, You know what? I... Uh... I'm going to bring up the lyrics, if that's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I really like the lyrics. You know, it's just a bunch of, you know, different examples of when God is watching you. And some of them are times you'd want God to be watching you. And some times you'd be embarrassed to have (laughs) Maybe not. But I mean, it's basically God's (laughs) watching you at all times. You know, I can read through a few, I guess. Yeah. So when you wake up in the night, God is watching you. When you're dancing in the light, God is watching you. When you don't need to use force, God is watching you. When you don't ever feel remorse, God is watching you. And so, you know, it's a bunch of lines like that, which I love. I think the music for me a little bit slightly on the boring side, but that's probably just because of what I like. (laughs) I mean, I like, Yeah. it's not a song. It's not like I'd listen to it and hate it. You know, I like it because I like the lyrics. I think the lyrics make it for me Yeah, hearing the lyrics. But yeah, what do you think? This song and River of Love, I think, are sonic bookends. Yeah. Um, they're both acoustic. That's true. Um, yeah. You know, acoustic guitar. Basically, both songs are acoustic t- guitar and vocals. Mm-hmm. They don't have the rest of the instrumentation. So I've often thought of them as sort of the, the opener, the closer, um, kind of counterparts to one another. And I have times where I like the song and times I'm not really sure. There's this sense of God is watching you, kind of like, um, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> right. He sees you when you're sleeping, he knows yeah. when you're awake, he knows yeah. if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And that's that transactional theology I was talking about, and I think with that sort of lens, do I want God watching me all the time? Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> and knowing that T-Bone is one of the co-writers on this song... I don't necessarily think it's as simplistic or as transactional as that. I think it's a simple reminder of a life lived under the gaze of God. Yeah. That there's no part of life that is going to be, you know, if, if a person holds on to that view or believes in, in that sense of 
God's presence uh, in the world and the universe or whatever. There's no place that we can go to escape that. In, in some ways, it's a rewrite of Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? You know, if I go up to the the mountains, if you are there, if I go to the <laughs> lowest pit of Sheol, you are there. Even there, your hand will find me and guide me. I think in some ways, this may be a modern adaptation of that psalm. And reading it in that perspective, that's that sort of relational theological perspective on God. And I feel better about the song that way. It's those moments when I hear it in that sort of transactional, <laughs> oh, you better watch out. Better watch me, yeah. <laughs> I guess I see it as, you're talking about bookends, so I see River of Love as just sort of wanting to get the message across that, like, listen, like, there's going to be hard times, there's hard things, but there, there's that river of love that that's always flowing. So you can always mm -hmm. count on that. And then this bookend seems very confrontational for the fundamentalist thinking to mm -hmm. me. That's what I get at. It's like, yeah, because fundamentalism is very controlled, like your presentation to other people, right. you know, you're not sharing all the things that you're struggling with or whatever. And it always struck me as like, that it was sort of confronting like people who like to focus on God watching them when they're doing good things or they're at a soup kitchen or they're doing this or giving in the offering plate or whatever. Mm -hmm. But God's also watching you when you're doing those other things. I think if you take it hand in hand with River of Love, it makes it less transactional in a way mm -hmm. because it's like, we're telling you this, but we're telling you this just so you don't like think you're better than anyone <laughs> But I also get what you're saying, too. And I think that's maybe it's part of our, you know, our culture we grew up in and stuff, too. Mm -hmm. Like that transactional thing. We kind of are pretty sensitive to when we see the transactional things happening, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, that makes us very uneasy and, you know, kind yeah. of a turnoff. But yeah. T-Bone and Sam Leslie are the authors of this song. I'm willing to dig deeper. If they were not the authors of this song, it'd be easier for me to, to dismiss it and write to it off. To just write it off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Like I said, I I like it okay. I would never be like, oh man, I can't wait to go listen to God is Watching You. I'm going to go find <laughs> it. <on> <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. But. Hmm. So I was pulling up the lyric for um, Answers Don't Come Easy because you said you were going to ask, oh, yeah. I think, favorite song on the album. I think I'm going to say When Answers Don't Come Easy is probably okay. my favorite track. The last verse is Mind's eye can only see so far and reason can only guess, but knowing you see more than what meets the eye helps me see through my helplessness. And mm. that's the last verse of the song. And then we go into God is watching you. Mm. That to me, I think is a different sense of God is watching you. Even while it may feel a little pedantic, it I think is 
with that lyric is a reminder that God sees more than what meets the eye. And it's less watching to see what you're doing wrong or right or whatever. It's more like protection watching. Right. Like, yeah. Watching yeah. over God, watching over us. It's it's less of the gotcha. Yeah. And you're right. It Like that line from that song does. I mean, if you look at it as like, that's the end of that song and it goes into that, that does change sort of the perspective on it. Mm-hmm. Knowing you see more than what meets the eye helps me see through my helplessness. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You feel like that's your pick. I think that's one that I, I keep coming back to because it is that song of reassurance in the midst of uncertainty and doubt. Have you gone through a period of doubt? <laughs> <laughs> I'm 52 years old. What a stupid yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Doubts about different things and yeah. wonderings and questions. But, you're, and, but wait a minute. You went to seminary and you're a chaplain. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm just, you know, <laughs> no, what I, you know what I'm doing. You know, I, I'm, I, being, I'm being silly. I do. Being yeah. You're familiar with Frederick Beekner. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So yeah. in uh, Wishful Thinking, Beekner says, that's his theological ABC. His, and under his his entry on doubt, he says, whether you believe there is a God or whether you don't, you're either kidding yourself or asleep if you don't have any questions. He says, doubt yeah, is the absolutely. ants in the pants of faith that keeps it awake and moving. Yeah. And I think there's something in the that's doubt awesome. that really reflects an active, engaged faith life rather than an apathetic, I'm just giving up and, you know, screw it, I'm done. Yeah. Those are the kind of people I like to talk to, the people that have had <laughs> doubts. <laughs> or read, you know. I'm trying to think, shoot, who's, uh, why does his name escape me right now? The Ragamuffin Gospel? Have um, you read that? Brennan Manning. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Brennan yeah. Manning. I love Brennan. I mean, and he's, you know, gone through a lot of stuff like that. I mean, to me, that that intrigues me mm -hmm. because I can relate to that a lot more than I can relate to yeah. somebody who is presenting that they've always known, they've never questioned. It's like, I, I don't know. It doesn't seem completely genuine to me. So it's hard right. for me to relate to people you know, I'm certainly not going to open up very much to right. people like that, but like, so you're a chaplain, so you talk to people. Do you do a lot of listening? Is yeah. it, is that a big part of it? Or, I mean, we're kind of going, I'm going yeah. off a little tangent here, but. Oh, that's all right. No, chaplaincy is very much a ministry of presence. We use that language that it's about being present. And I don't do a lot of direct patient care anymore. I am actually what's called a clinical pastoral education certified educator. So I train mm, student okay. chaplains in what's called clinical pastoral education, CPE. And so okay. I'm training student chaplains, seminarians, congregational clergy, lay folk to engage in this work of being present, of intentionally being with. And I a song like Answers Don't Come Easy has really been formative also, I think, in, in the work that I do, because we encounter stuff where answers don't come easy when family members, you know, are there at the bedside. Um, I'm in a pediatric hospital, so we've got, you know, at the beginning stages mm. of life with with sick kids or kids who are injured or, or killed in a car accident and supporting grieving families and, you know, helping my students who are used to coming out of transactional theological perspectives and wrestling with you know where the hell yeah. was god when this happened right yeah and learning that often it's the being present and listening rather than having easy answers there is no easy answer that you can give to a grieving person 
or a person who's just, you know, realized or been diagnosed with cancer or somebody who's been diagnosed with diabetes and, you know, they're going to live, but they've got to manage it. And now this is a chronic condition. There's yeah. no easy answers. And so learning to live into that ambiguity, I think is really why a song like this really resonates with me on such a, a deep level. Yeah. I get it. People in, that are in those situations you talked about, they don't want the trite answer. You know, he's in a better place <laughs> or, or, you know, all things work together for good. So this happening is, is good. <laughs> it's like, right. Um, yeah. Screw you. Uh, the yeah, better exactly. place is here with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Sam Phillips in the turning. Thank you so much, Mark, for joining me. And we will be back with Indescribable Wow and Cruel Inventions. I got so excited going through these albums, especially The Turning, I think, because Mark and I saw in hindsight the beginning of Sam Phillips' journey into what she is today. It's been a wonderful, marvelous journey. It was 36 years ago that this album came out. It's hard to believe, but as I said, it was so exciting going through these and seeing the transformation that was taking place in her. And I dare say, looking back, I've been reflecting on this, and I think she probably made the most dramatic exit from the Christian contemporary music scene and has produced the highest quality of material after leaving of anyone that I can think of. So please join us for the next episode I believe we're going to combine the indescribable wow and cruel inventions into that one episode. If at all possible, that's what I'm going to do because we don't want this to get out of hand here. But we did do a lot of talking and we covered a lot. So that's something to look forward to for fans of Sam Phillips and just, I think, people who enjoy deep thought in general because she was a deep thinker and Mark and I really tried to pick this apart and understand where she was at that time and what she was writing about and singing about. Speaking of, for fans of Sam Phillips... I was able to find a live version of Carry You from a concert in Philadelphia in 1988. When I found it, it was in a mono state, but I converted it over to stereo, and I thought I would end the episode with this live version. Now, it's quite a bit longer than the original version. I think the original version was around 4 minutes and 20-something seconds, but this version is over 6 minutes long. It's got all the awesome instrumentation and guitar and little noises in the background, so... I wanted to put it on, and some of you may not want to make it through this whole thing. I think it's beautiful, and I know fans of Sam Phillips will really enjoy this, especially those who were familiar with her music at the time. Until next time, peace and mercy to you. Keep up the good fight. Chins up, people. Later.
Shut up to